0: A lot has happened in the book of Revelation so far. So before we get into it today, let's pray, and um, we'll be in chapter 10. God, I'm so thankful that I can speak to you right now, and that you hear me, that you're listening, even as the congregation is listening to me speak, or even having their own thoughts right now, you're listening to their thoughts. You know every heartbeat and hair on their body. And I thank you for that. You are all-consuming, you love us, you're for us. I do ask today, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that wanna run with obedience. Father, not just a prayer that I pray every week, Father, but something that I mean from the bottom of my heart. I have no craftiness of a sermon, Father. All I can do is preach your word. So I pray that your word would bring life because of its creative power, because of even the promise in the book of Revelation, Father, that those who read it, who hear it, and those who obey it will be blessed. So I pray that that blessing would be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the main objectives of the book of Revelation so far has really been the unveiling of Jesus. It's not just about end-time prophecy, right? It's not just about weird things happening or identifying the Antichrist. It's not just about a rapture or no rapture. It's about the unveiling of Jesus and Jesus coming back to finish his work, to completely restore that which was lost. See, throughout the book of Revelation, what we also see is God's desire for the church to repent. And then because of this, um, people on earth will face many hard times. But God's people will not face God's wrath. All throughout Scripture, we have seen where God's people do not face his wrath. Amen? That's what we can be happy about today, is when you and I face God one day, are we going to face his wrath? No. You want to know why? Because we stand behind the blood of Jesus. Amen? So all throughout Scripture, God's people don't face his wrath. But we also see in Scripture that God's people still face hard times. Amen? Jesus faced God's wrath for us. But Jesus still faced people. And people can be really evil. Anyone got an evil person in their life right now that you're just like, I wish that they would move to Antarctica. You should just, um, you should just send them two tickets to Antarctica. I mean, if you really want them out of your life, just literally send them two tickets. Expense paid for. One way. Yep. One way. <laughs> so the church will face hard times, but the church will not face God's wrath. Jesus is coming to redeem that which was lost in the garden. So we lost a bunch in the garden. What we ended up losing in the garden is the ability to have an intimate relationship with Christ, walking with Him. Because the way that God originally intended is that you and I would walk with Him in peace for eternity in the garden. But what ended up happening is because of our sinful nature, because he gave us a free will, we decided we wanted to kind of live our own way. So Adam and Eve both sinned, and when they both sinned, what ended up happening? Life and death was revealed. Sin entered the world. And what we ended up doing as humans is sin entered our bodies and sin entered the world, but we also gave away The, I guess, title deed to the earth, because what God wanted us to do is God wanted us to oversee the earth and dwell in it, to oversee the animals, have dominion over it and kind of be in charge of things. I don't understand why, but it was his plan and not mine, but he wanted us to kind of be in charge of things. So the enemy not only deceived us into death, but now the enemy also stole that which was ours. So what we see unfolding in the book of Revelation is Jesus coming back to redeem the last part, and the last part is the earth. Because he's already redeemed us from death. Amen? Amen. Jesus did that on the cross. It's finished. But now he's coming back to restore the earth. And later on in the book of Revelation, what it's going to end up saying is he's creating all things new. And we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. So heaven... We'll be here on earth. And you're like, how could heaven be in Champaign County? I have the same question. There's mysteries. Because we certainly know it's not in West Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> y'all just going to live in Mechanicsburg. That's all that it is. We can't live without you guys. You want to know something funny, side note, because, you know, West Liberty is the rivalry. But we love some of the West Liberty people. We really do. Some of them are in here today. Some of them are not. We were at the Graham track meet on Friday, and there was, there was someone who parked in the wrong spot, and they were blocking an entrance. So over the loudspeaker, they said, hey, there's someone in this type of car that's blocking the entrance. And while they were blocking the entrance, I'm thinking, like, who would do this? Like, who would block an entrance? And then they said, this is uh, this type of vehicle, and then it has a Michigan license plate. And I'm like that's why. (laughs) Everyone in the stands, when they heard Michigan, they booed. The whole stands went boo. So we love you guys from West Liberty so much that we don't boo you, and you're a part of the family. So um, they speak the same way about us up there anyways. So God bless you guys. Nevertheless, God is coming to redeem the earth, that which was lost. So Through this, through his redeeming, what ends up happening is destruction, like the world has never seen, will take place. This happens through angels and trumpets and seals, right? It happens through many avenues thus far. And right now, where we're at is the trumpets, the seven trumpets. We've seen six. We've seen a third of the earth's vegetation, gone. Fresh water, gone. Oceans, a third of them, gone. A third of the day is now gone. We've seen demons released to torture those who are not sealed, who are not God's people. And God, throughout all of this, is desiring that mankind would repent. But they stay stuck in their ways. That's where we are, through six seals. We have not seen this, or six, the six trumpets. We have not seen the seventh trumpet yet. So, chapter 10 gives us uh, a reprieve for a moment. A reprieve between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. Something happens in between that. But we will soon return at the latter half of Revelation chapter 11. So we're in some kind of intermission between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. What we begin to see today is what appears to be Jesus. But is it Jesus or is it not Jesus? Uh, Many theologians debate that. So Revelation chapter 10, verse one. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with the rainbow above his head, his face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Some people used to say, we can just read scripture from the pulpit and then have a benediction and go home. So since I just read that and we understand all of it, benediction, let's go home. So is this angel, or yeah, is this angel Jesus or is this another messenger? It's important for us to try to wrestle through to try to figure that out. So what's unique is there's some attributes that we've seen before that actually look like this could be Jesus. So he was robed in a cloud. We saw this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. So he was robed in a cloud. We also see in Revelation 1 that he's coming with the clouds. So could this be Jesus? Well, in Revelation chapter 1, it was speaking of Jesus. Then the next um, characteristic, with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. We see this in Ezekiel 1.28. The appearance of the brilliant light all around him was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. So in Ezekiel, this is speaking of Jesus. We see that same characteristic here in Revelation chapter 10. And his legs were like fiery pillars. Well, we see this also in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. His feet were like polished bronze, bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. So this is speaking of Jesus. Polished bronze, refined in a furnace. He gave a loud shout like the roar of... Of a lion. Jeremiah 25, verse 30, which is speaking of Jesus. Now prof, uh, prophesy all these words against them and say to them The Lord will roar from on high, he will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tre- uh, tread the grapes and shout against all who live on the earth. So that's speaking of Jesus. Revelation uh, 10 says he will roar like a lion. Jeremiah 25 seems to point to him roaring like a lion. Hosea 11 verse 10. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. This is speaking of Jesus. So here in Revelation chapter 10, is this Jesus that's being spoken about or is it not? I have a tendency to maybe think that it is. My hesitancy in that is there's great debate amongst people who have studied the Bible much longer than me and are much wiser than me. So many commentators would suggest that this is a messenger from heaven, but not Jesus It's um, someone who looks like or has characteristics of Jesus, but not him. So as of right now, it's a hill that I don't believe we need to die on in the book of Revelation. Amen? But I can see both sides. I can see where this can be Jesus. I can see where this is not him. But what's important for us right now is not whether this is Jesus or whether this is not Jesus, what's important for us to understand is what does this messenger do? What does he say? What's going to come next from him? So this angel, this messenger, makes a promise. And this promise is something that we want to look at. Verse 5. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea... I was thinking about some things that I read about this, sorry. There was people who were like, well, only Jesus can stand on water. You know, so like they were just starting arguments in their commentary and then they were essentially cessationists, meaning they don't believe that God moves and that the gifts of the spirit are not at work. So there were some cessationists arguing "Well, God would never let people walk on water because only he can walk on water and it proves it here in Revelation chapter 10. Oh, God bless you. Not the argument. So sorry I, um, sorry I thought about that. Verse 5. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in him, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, And said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So this angel makes a promise. And this angel actually makes a promise that the younger generation would say on God. Any of you guys ever heard the younger generation say, on God? Ray's cool enough to hear that. So kids nowadays, you know, if they want to make a promise instead of saying, I swear, or I swear to God, or I promise to God, they'll say things like, on God. So on God means like, with the authority of God, I'm promising this. Like to the highest level. Or they'll say things like, on my mom. And what on my mom would mean is like, I'm telling the truth, and if I'm not telling the truth, you might as well kill my mom. Essentially that's what it is. So for the younger generation, what this angel is doing is they're saying, look, I'm promising this on God. Like the angel is literally saying this, like this is coming with the authority of God on it. No lie. It's going to happen. So this angel makes the promise, and the promise was that God was going to move without delay And the mystery of God will be accomplished. They're going to move without delay. Why is it that we always think about these promises that we're going to have for tomorrow? One of the most powerful things that I've ever heard is when I heard Ohio State's wrestling coach share his testimony. And when he shared his testimony, he talked about um, the three kids that he had. And how he got his uh, division, first Division One wrestling coaching job. And things are su- succeeding. And it was somewhere in New York, right? And what ends up happening is um, one night he got home from wrestling practice and it was a typical night. And he had these promises about what life was going to look like. How many of you guys still have a promise of what life's going to look like for the next 20, 30, 50, 70, 170 years? We have these promises. I have have a promise of what the rest of my day is going to look like. I've made plans for the rest of my day. So what the coach was saying is it was just a typical day. He came home, showered, sat down. His wife had made dinner. And he was just experiencing the joy of real life, eating dinner. And the kids around the table, and they get done eating. So then once the kids are done eating, he's just sitting there as a proud dad happy with life. And the kids uh, began to run around the house, and while they're running around the house, they're just having fun. And just the joy that he experienced as a father in the fullness of life. I got the wife that I want. I got my kids. I have the job that I've dreamed of. And he made a joke. He said, we finally had enough money because of the wrestling job that I had to buy an air conditioner to put in the window. And he said, the cool air i the air conditioner. He said, I just remember the peace that I had. And he said, so I'm just sitting there as a proud man. And my wife, um, she was so excited about the kids running around the house that she got up. And she started to run around and play. So he said, what I did is I decided that I wanted to join in." So he said, he went to hide behind a corner. He went to hide behind. This is why we don't live stream. <laughs> no one will even know what just happened. He said, "So I went and I hid, and I just hid behind a doorway, and I'm getting ready to scare my son as they're running through the house, and he just collapsed, and he collapsed, and he said we didn't know what to do, and we we checked him and wanted to do CPR, but he's so young. He said so we called 911. He said I picked up my son, and after I picked up my son, I heard an ambulance, so I ran." because I wanted to get there faster, so I ran three blocks with my son, my three-year-old son, to try to meet the EMTs, but they were going somewhere else. So then I ran back to the house, and they weren't there yet, and I'm freaking out. They came, and we went into the ambulance. They finally got there. We went into the ambulance, and we went to the hospital, and our neighbor came and watched our kids at home, and we went to the hospital, and our son died. I said I didn't understand it because I was promised in my mind. I was promised in my mind that he'd be a wrestler one day, that I'd get to coach him. I was promised in my mind that I'd be able to see him get married and know his grandkids and wrestle with them. I was promised, I was promised, I was promised, I was promised, I was promised. And one of the biggest deceits in your life and in my life is that we believe that tomorrow is promised. Nothing in your life is promised other than Jesus died for you and that you can have a relationship with him. And what happened, you're like, why are you sharing this story? Because what this angel is saying is what the angel promised is there will be no delay. It's gonna happen now. And what we think is that 30 years from now is promised, so we'll do something in 30 years. What we think is something is promised tomorrow, so we say we will repent tomorrow. We think that a week from now is promised, so we say we'll say sorry to our spouse tomorrow. I'll start reading my Bible. Tomorrow. I'll start my Bible reading plan next week. I'll start taking steps of faith and sharing the gospel in January. Tomorrow is not promised. And this angel is declaring that there will be no uh, delay with what's coming next. So there's promises or ideas about promises all throughout Scripture. And what's unique, though, is what's happening here is the angel saying there will be no delay and this mystery will be accomplished during the book of Revelation and the book of Revelation is at the end of time. Second Peter uh, 3, 3 through 4 tells us this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, so the book of Revelation, right? In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it, as it has since the beginning of creation. So people in the end of time are going to say, where is God? Why didn't he come back? Why isn't he here? Why would a good God allow these things to happen? Your God's not real. If he was real, he wouldn't have done this or wouldn't have allowed this. We see a lot of that scoffing happening now. But um, there's a promise. It will happen. But God has been patient because he desires that no one would perish. Amen. That's why God's okay with some of the scoffing. Because he's saying, hey, look, I want to be patient because I want people to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God is patient with you today. God is patient with me today. God is patient with your coworkers. God is patient with some of these evil world leaders. Because even these these evil world leaders, God wants to know. God wants them to be in heaven with him. So he's patient. But he's not slow in keeping his promise. He wants them to repent. James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So what we see happening here in the book of Revelation is the angel is essentially declaring that God's patience has weared thin. And what's going to happen next is he's not going to be patient anymore, anymore. When this happens, when this trumpet is blown, it's about to go down. It's about to go down. But God is patient with you and I today, amen? Amen. And he's patient because he wants us to repent. Because he's waiting for the fullness of the crop. What is the crop? Souls, people. It reminds me of Genesis when God said that he would limit man's life to 120 years. Now, many of us have often probably misunderstood that scripture. My understanding of it, uh, again, um, if you disagree, that's okay, come talk to me later. My understanding of when God limits people's age to 120 years, what he was saying was this, is the flood's gonna happen around 120 years. So I'm, I'm limiting this generation to 120 years before the wrath of God comes. So it wasn't just a capping of mankind, their age, I believe, it might have been that, but I also believe it was God saying, hey, look, in 120 years, this is when the flood's gonna happen, so I'm capping this. You guys have this opportunity. I'm letting you know that you need to repent now. So, it it was, yeah, so it correlated with the timing of the flood, giving people time to repent. But when the flood comes, guess what? It's gonna come all of a sudden. It's going to happen. Boom, flood, you're done. So I I think that's what's going on here in the book of Revelation is this angel is saying, hey, look, what's going to happen, it's going to happen quickly. God has been patient with you. God has been patient with the world. God has been slow slow to anger. But when this happens, just like the flood, there's no more getting on the ark. There's no more hopping on his ship. And you're like, hey, you're preaching to the church today. Well, some of us still need to repent, right? Some of us still need to keep on wrestling with God. But if we as the church know this, what should we be doing with our knowledge? Sharing it with urgency. Making sure that those who are around us know the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. So what the angel in Revelation 10 is announcing is God is going to move and it's going to happen quickly. Maybe we could say he's no longer being patient because he's not going to wait. So the angel makes the promise and that, um, and that which is going to happen will happen quickly. Christ will come to reign and begins to rule the world. That's what's going to happen. He's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign Good and evil, the lamb and the dragon, all are heading towards the battle of battles. And then the mystery of God will be accomplished. That's what we see happening here in Revelation chapter 10. So we have to ask, what is the mystery of God? In the New Testament, a mystery is truth previously concealed, but now revealed. We see this in Ephesians 3, 2 through 11. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. The mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I believe there's the mystery. In the New Testament, God's plan and purpose in creation and redemption are made possible through the blood of Jesus. Amen? The mystery of Christ. But what is the mystery here in Revelation chapter 10? To answer that, I think we have to look back at the Sermon on the Mount and when Jesus teaches us how to pray. So when Jesus teaches us to do something, what should we do? We should apply it. And whether you apply it or whether I apply it, I think God's, there are some of God's saints who are applying it. But when we look at Matthew 6, 9 through 13, here's what it says. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what I believe is going on here is God is answering the prayer of his saints. The time of your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, will come in its fullest. Complete and absolute fullest, that is the mystery. Now, I know we have some of that here, now. People get healed, people get set free. God delivers people. People come to Christ. There's a piece of heaven here on earth. But if this is heaven on earth, then heaven ain't so good, amen? <laughs> so I believe what's happening, the mystery that these angels are releasing, or this angel is releasing, is the complete absolute fullness of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The absolute destruction of the enemy and sin will take place because his kingdom will be here in its fullest. The angel is promising on God that we can trust that God is going to complete, uh, to, to complete his work. He will not fail us in the enemy of our souls will be defeated completely. He will take back the title deed of the earth. There will be no more pain and no more suffering. There will be no more cancer, sickness, aches and pains. There will be no more wars, fights, gossip, slandering. There will be no more sin. The fullness of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven will be here, amen? It will be destroyed for good. When Jesus comes to take his kingdom back, it will not be a mystery. Rather, it will be a manifestation. All of the world will witness it. So here in Revelation chapter 10, God has initiated the final events of world history and nothing can delay it. That's what we see going on. These events are being initiated for the final redemption of the earth. Peter shares the same truth in the book of Acts, that heaven will receive Jesus until this time. Acts chapter three, verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So Jesus is in heaven until Revelation chapter 10, potentially, when he comes. When the seventh seal in chapter 11 is released, Jesus returns and he's gonna come in his splendor and restore everything. But what we have to recognize is this, is in all of this, we still have to be obedient, obedient to repent, obedient to make disciples, right? But John here, what's unique is John, as he's still receiving words and revelation, John is still obedient. So I'm gonna read this to you, and we're wrapping up. Then the voices that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll. Imagine, just real quick, if John was like, I don't want to go take the scroll. I don't have time to go take the scroll. I'm too tired to go take the scroll. I have to mow my grass before I can go get the scroll. The Buckeyes play today. The scroll can wait. He didn't say any of those. But then the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but your mouth will be as sweet as honey. So what did he do? I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, or sorry, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, uh, languages, and kings. So what's happening here is John was still given things to do. Here I could preach about the importance of reading the word, right? Um, Many commentators talked about the importance of reading the word. And then um, consuming the word, so it's sweet. So essentially, you know, the idea is the word tastes really good. It's really sweet to you. But then when you eat it and you consume it, it, it also wages war with you, right? Because when you consume the word, there's a lot of things that need to transform in your life. Amen? So it tastes good, but it it also changes you. It tells you to quit thinking that way. It tells you to quit acting that way. It tells you to say you're sorry. It tells you to humble yourself. It tells you you're not as important as you think you are. But it also tells you how valuable you really are. So we, we could talk about that. Um, I guess I don't want to today. Um, I think we understand that. The word is paramount, amen? The word has the creative power to change everything about your life. Everything. It's sweet like honey, but it also rebukes you. can make you sick. But you guys know that. You, This church, the people who are in here today, every one of you... of you in here today, I have a general idea of who you are and who you love. And that's Jesus. And you understand the importance of God's word. Amen? You understand it. You get it. You understand the importance of gathering together. You know the basis of the Christian walk. So I don't need to keep on telling you things you already know. Because then sometimes, sometimes people say, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? I say, one of the hardest things is sometimes loving people in a direction that God loves them. I think we all deal with that, right? But I said, the next thing is convincing Christians to be Christians, right? Our job shouldn't be to convince Christians to be Christians. Our job should be to sharpen and encourage and lift up and restore Christians from the battle that they've been facing. But sometimes you can't even convince a church or convince a generation of people just to open up the Bible. You're like, wait, you're telling me you're a Christian, but you don't ever read your Bible? Well, I love Macy, but I I never stay at the house. I have a house in Florida. I stay there by myself. I never talk to her. And then um, only when I need something will I have a conversation with her. Do I have a relationship with her? No. I think that I do because of marriage, but no, I don't have a relationship with her then. If we're not reading our word, if we're not spending time in prayer, then we don't have a relationship. But, but you guys know that. Passively aggressive, I jokingly say, and you're already doing it every day, right? I'm, I'm doing it perfectly every day too. So nevertheless, we, we could talk about the importance of the word, But we know that. But what we see going on here that I wanted to hit today is that John still was obedient. John had something to obey. And what we see him being um, in this moment, God was not forcing himself on him, God laid something before him and he told him to obey it. I wonder where this book stops. If John doesn't obey, do we have any other, do we have the rest of the story if John doesn't obey? I'm not sure, right? Because God doesn't force himself on us. John was told to take the scroll. So what did he do? It said he went and he did it. He was told to eat the scroll. Kind of weird, right? So what did he do? John ate it. Then he was told that he must prophesy again. So what did he do? He prophesied. And what the beginning of the book of Revelation says is those who listen to it, those who hear, or those who listen to it, those who read it, and then those who obey it will receive a blessing. And we see the theme of obedience and listening throughout the book of Revelation. If John didn't listen to God, and if John wasn't obedient, and then prophesy the words that he was hearing, then we might not have the rest of the book. So I wonder today, what has God been putting on your heart to obey, to turn from? Maybe it's just the person at your work you just need to love. Maybe there's a person at your work that you need to give your paycheck to because God just randomly told you to do it. Maybe God wants you to quit eating breakfast the first thing in the morning, and he wants you to spend two hours with him. Maybe God's been encouraging you to start a Bible reading plan or join a small group. And you're like, well, how do you know if God is encouraging you? Well, there's a reoccurring thought in your mind that doesn't contradict the Bible. Just go do it and see if that's him, right? And what I say is when God speaks to me, it's much louder than an audible voice. Anyone ever had that feeling? Just much louder, just overwhelms you where you know if you don't do it, you're disobedient. So John was obedient. And some of you may say, well, if I had the revelation that John had, I would obey it. How many of you guys feel that way? If I was in this moment, then I would certainly obey God because I was in this moment. Any of you guys feel that way? Here's what I want to say is you actually have a greater revelation, because you have Jesus. You have the greater revelation living inside of you. Amen? Well, we better get excited today and experience some joy. I'm going to say it again, we have the greater revelation, which is Jesus living inside of us. Amen. Amen. John was having this trance, out-of-body experience. He was brought up to heaven. But we have heaven living inside of us. Come on, somebody. I need to have someone on the organ that we don't have to wake y'all up. Bam, bam, bam. You have the word, and the word tells you to obey many things. So don't be deceived, you have the greater revelation. So God, in this moment of chapter 10, was asking John to obey him. And what I ask you, as we wrap up today, is will you obey God in the things that he's calling you to? Stop waiting for this billboard moment Because when God moves, he moves without delay. God is going to move without delay. So we must be obedient today because tomorrow is not promised. Let's pray. Father, um, we do know that the day is drawing near. That it's nearer and nearer each moment. And I just recognize that sometimes we look to the end of time and we fear the end of time more than we just walk in your peace and relationship with you. So I pray that today that your Holy Spirit would encourage us to not only have joy, but to walk fully in a relationship with you where we desire above all else to be obedient, that we would have what scripture tells us, feet of readiness. Encourage us to reconcile today, to turn from sin, and I pray that um, as we read the book of Revelation today, Father, as we heard the book of Revelation today, that we would obey the book of Revelation today, Father, and that that blessing would come in Jesus' name. Amen.